Welcome to the Freedom Fridays podcast with me, your host, Pete Clark, the Whispers Guy. Work seems to expand to the time that we give it. And I've been investing my time, occasionally on a Friday, to explore how we use our time, our energy, our attention, and the impact it has on our identity. I've been exploring over season one, some of the mindset shifts in the handcuffs of I have to, to the freedom of I choose to. And I've shared some conversations, some tips, some tools about how you might want to invest your own time, your own energy, your own attention, how you might want to, if you choose to, make some changes to your identity, how you might have freedom from I have to and design a life around I choose to. If that's of interest to you, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome to this week's edition of Freedom Fridays. Um, I'm speaking to uh, a new uh, contact of mine who we contacted one of the benefits of the internet uh, on the other side of the world. Um, her name is Sharon Seivert, and she's based in Boston. Um, she is an author. She is a business consultant and helps startups particularly the, the, the C-suite in startups, become who they want to be whilst building and transforming their business. So Sharon, it's a, it's a good afternoon, good morning to wherever you are. I think you're in Boston. I'm in Boston, on the North Shore of Boston. Yes, where the sun is shining. Yay. Yeah, it comes into spring for you. <laughs> it was, uh, spring is finally sprung here uh, in Boston after, after a long, a long but not hard winter. Okay, cool. So Sharon, um, I start with a question. And today I'm thinking, given your background, given some of the books you've written and some of the positions you have on those things, in the work that you do around the world with organizations large and small, what are, what are some of the things that you think leaders are seeking freedom from? Yes. <laughs> I think this is a very... Uh, pivotal question right now, especially as we come out of COVID. Mm -hmm. I think that what I would like to see is that we don't return to normal. I don't want us to try to put the toothpaste back in the tube. I think that this is the moment where we could really change things. And so, so leaders that I've met are kind of scratching their heads about what do we do now? What do we do next? How do we do things differently? Can I get it back to be the way it was when everyone was doing what I told them to do, things like that? <laughs> and I'm going, I'm not so sure it's going to work that way anymore. And the thing that I've read recently is that we could possibly be, historically, if we look at where we could possibly be right now, it could be similar to what happened when the Renaissance happened, when we moved from the Middle Ages to the Renaissance. And that was in, like in Florence, that was from 1348 to 1350. In other countries, it was probably mostly at later times, like England and everything. But what happened was that we had the Middle Ages, and then we had the plague. We had the Black Death, the bubonic plague. And then, does it sound familiar? And then we moved on to a Renaissance where things were, uh, the old structures were exploded, and, and we had to do things differently. And so this is the question I think that a lot of leaders are inching towards, that they, they I think people feel that there is something afoot and to which I want to say yes 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 this is the moment where we can be called to greatness and one of the things that I've noticed about your podcast and I wanted to reflect back to you is you 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 mentioned I think it was when you were with Richard Oaks you mentioned that um, that you had the impression that sometimes people wanted to be free from all this busyness and all this noise but they were slowed down on doing that because that busyness gave them their definition of value and how important they were. And I thought that was spot on. I think that that is what a lot of people are struggling with. I want to do things differently, but if I'm not busy, 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 are they going to pay me as much? You know, that sort of thing. Whereas my sense is that this is the moment where we can go to more quiet, more stillness, reduce the noise change how we work, change the quality of how we use time, 
many cultures do time very differently from we Western cultures. So I would like to see how we would actually think completely differently about how we are creative, how we are innovative, how we let people do that. So I think that there that people want the freedom to be to become who they really are, to become great. And and I think this there, there's an opening that is starting to happen where we might do that. And it seems to me, the people who you come on your show and you and the people who are listening to this now later want freedom, not just for themselves, but for others. That's the sense I get. So those people are the, what is it? The head of the spear, the people who may be taking us into this new era where, where we ask these questions and we find different answers than we had in the past. That makes sense. And then, of course, we have the whole first world, third world kind of problems about what what freedom is for people and who has freedom. I mean, you know, I'm incredibly blessed. I'm one of the most fortunate people on the planet to live where I live and to, to have the freedoms that I do as a woman. You know, this is there's a lot of parts of the world where that would not, I would never have been able to bring my greatness to the table. So that's that's one way of of looking at this question about freedom and what leaders are looking to. I think they need to start asking different questions, I guess, about what freedom is. Sharon, thank you. You've uh, you, you've prompted me. Uh, I'm going to say it again. This is the first time we've spoken, spoken. <laughs> because over the years. It, it, it sometimes, you know, tickles my cheek or it kind of smacks me around a little bit when I reference the word freedom. And for me, it means something very different to probably many, many people in the world. And I'm, I've just been reminded again um, of the privilege and the, the the benefits I have when I'm talking about freedom. You know, you might and I might talk about leaders' freedom from a previous identity to a new identity. Right. Yeah. Freedom from the chains of you know, the corporate organization to the freedom of running your own business when you have just very elegantly reminded me for Oops. a large percentage of people in the word freedom could simply be physical freedom. It could be freedom from hunger. It could be freedom from oppression. It could be freedom from all sorts of other far more basic and needy things than perhaps the conversation that you and I have. So thank you for raising that. And um, that's probably important for me as I we have this conversation, we have to remember uh, the, the very different definitions and the freedom's a very loaded word. Right. And And when each one of the people who listens to you or who you coach or consult with, when those leaders take steps to have more freedom, they are bringing the world with them. I, the, the, in, in the U.S. or in, in you know, Native Americans, the U.S., the Iroquois tribe specifically, believe that when you heal yourself, you heal seven generations backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, because their idea of time was very different from ours. And to me, this is my mantra. This is when my clients heal themselves, they are healing their families, their world, their, you know, the, the, the environment, they are healing everything. So it is really important, even though we are, you know, in this highly privileged situation in our lives that we grab it with both hands because when we move we can move the rest of the world forward yeah so Uh, it's not a small question it's not insignificant it's not irrelevant but when they do that it's like we're helping everybody i'm gonna dive straight in there sharon because i'm I'm, one it's it's a fascinating thread for us to pick up on (laughs) and i'm really interested in this because you know, most people who know me know I'm a, I'm a collector of books. I'm a reader of books. That the work and I can see that behind you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> those work, of you who are listening I've, can't see all those books. <laughs> yeah, the work I think I've done to you know, in some way, contribute to that and heal myself is pretty significant over the years. And yet, there's just so much for me to work on compared to others who perhaps might not not do any. And live a far more engaging, fruitful, contributing life. Anyway, separate, separate, separate part of the conversation. I'm really interested in 
given that example of the tribe who, if you heal yourself, you heal seven, seven generations forward and back, what do you think the, the leader post-COVID who's running a business, trying to solve a societal or generational or community problem, what do you think it is they're trying to heal from? I think we have are coming away from old systems that are profoundly outdated, that were uh, that were not really working particularly well before COVID. Okay, so there's a uh, I have had it explained to me that one of the reasons after World War II that Germany and Japan. Uh, rose so quickly was that their infrastructure was destroyed. So they had to build from scratch. And, and, you know, I'm not encouraging us to build from scratch, but I think we can take some of that attitude of let's look at everything from the beginning. So I would encourage leaders to look at everything from the beginning. The other thing is the leaders have to take their responsibility the freedom and responsibility to heal themselves and their families, because then they show up the next day at work, full people. Mm -hmm. And when they're full and, and, and quiet and intuitive people, they can work miracles in their organization. It's sort of like, you know, when you, when you meet people and they're comfortable to be around or you meet people and it's like, ah, I don't think I want to spend any time with this guy. That's what they bring to the table. They, we really want leaders to bring their full selves to the table. And that has always been uh, considered, you know, touchy-feely, wishy-washy kind of stuff. And it's sort of like, you know, we, we want the guys to just man up and run the damn company. And we're going, it's not that simple. So the, the image that I use in the balanced leadership thing that we'll talk about, and this important at this particular moment, is it's the center in the four directions. So if we look at that image of the center in the four directions, we see these two vectors, the up and down and the sideways. Okay, so it's like this cross kind of thing right in the center. So this is very interesting because this symbol represents male and female balance in every human being. Isn't that cool? So we meet at that soul point, at that center point of our deep humanity. And then the the um the, you know, the 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 mission and the fire and the getting things done and the money in the bank is is this up-down vector. And it is um it's typically the way male management, quote male management works. And the more female management is more planning and listening to people and the emotional health. But we need it all. We need we need our leaders now to have that balance in order to rebalance the world. So all of that stuff that was uh, contemptuously referred to as female needs to be integrated. And then everybody's healthier. I mean, you know, everybody's healthier if we do that. So, um, you know, we still need to get the money and, and have the, you know, things taken care of and the goals. But we need a balance between them. Yeah, we don't. We can't chew people up anymore. We can't discard them. We can't, you know, we 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 just can't do that kind of damage to human beings to their families as we've done in the past. Mm. Um, I'm going to pick up and ask you a question that that has been asked of me, and I'm I'm interested in how you answer it. Uh, when you say that you know, businesses would be better, leaders would be better, families, communities would be better if people brought their full selves to bear. Mm -hmm. um, what does that actually mean? So if I'm a skeptic, I might be thinking, well, what do you mean my full self? I I'm already full. Do you mean physically? Do you mean emotionally? Do you mean mentally? What, what are you talking about, Sharon, when you say bring your full self? So I'm only bringing 90%. What does that actually be? Help me understand what that actually means. And that those questions have been leveled at me. So I'm really interested in how you would express. <laughs> how would you yeah. answer that to the skeptic that goes, what do you mean your full self? What does that actually mean? Very good. So when I talk about this, the, the superpower of balance and the superpower of balanced leadership, I am talking about six distinct powers that make up your full self. So the first is your core. So again, we look at that image of the center in the four directions. It's just, it, this is an archetype that people have, and it's real easy to teach. It's real easy for people to go, I get that, that I understand. I've seen a compass before. I've seen a baseball diamond. I've seen a Native American medicine wheel. I've seen it all, right? So we have the center and that's where we start. What is the the core of the person, their, their, um, their essence, their, um, their 
their presence, their their values, all of those things are, yeah. are articulated in the core. The yeah. next, on the second power is vision or inspiration. So we go to the east where the sun rises, and that inspiration is needs to be tied to the core. So you can't say, ah, oh, I'd like to do that, or oh, I'd like to do that. It's got to be tied to the core of you as a human being or the core of your organization. Why is the core? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this job? Why is that? And then that, when you answer that, this is one of the first things I do with people. We really delve into why am I doing this work and, and what's the point? What's the purpose here? Once you have that and you tie your vision to it, we're in good shape. And then we move on from there to, to articulate, okay, so the first thing we're going to do to get to that mountaintop, get to that vision we want to go to, this mission, that's the fire element. That's like, okay. And, and then, but the things are aligned. All, if the powers are aligned, then we have so much more oomph. We are really operating differently than if we do this and that's separated from that. But this alignment is the glue. It, it holds everything together. And then after we have this mission really clear um, and the, the fire in us, we're really motivated. We're ready to go out of my way. I have things to do. Then we tie it, align it with the people with whom we're working. So that then, if we agree on the mission um, and we're aligned on where we're going, then that is, you know, it's it's not so herky-jerky. We're not in conflict. We, we have agreed on where we're going and why and who's doing what. So that is aligned. And then we have the structure, which is the, you know, the body, the earth element. This, this is getting the results, getting the money in the door, all those things. Um, taking care of your physical health as an individual. Um, uh, you know, care, you know, caring for this, caring for your finances, all of that is earthbound stuff. That is an outcome of why, where we want to go, who we want to travel with. This is like the, the, this. Now we have the feet on the ground to do the work. When those elements are aligned, when those powers are aligned, then we get synergy, and that's the magic. Synergy then is when we have liftoff. This is when we're moving into greatness. And, and it is always wonderful to see, you know, clients or organizations get to that point. It's like, zzz, 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 zzz. All, this, all this stuff is happening. We are in flow. It's smooth. We're not making all this effort, all this pushing effort that has you, we have had to use in the past to get anything done. So that's the, those are the powers. When I talk about fullness, this is your innate, you know, powers. You, you have these. We just need to activate them. We need to tie them together. And then you are gold. Mm. Uh, so just remind me, uh, Sharon, core vision, mission, people. The interactions. Yeah. Interactions. Okay. Structure. Um, structure. Yeah. Structure and then synergy. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the synergy is the context, the you know, uh, that holds everything together. So those powers, when I talk about fullness, that's what I'm talking about, is that you really grab these with both your hands. This is yours. Yeah, I, I get that. And so in your experience, which is the one or the kind of couple of usual suspects that aren't present when someone isn't bringing them their full selves to bear? Well, we have we have assessments. My organization has assessments to help answer those questions in terms of you have them all, you have preferences, so you some may do some to a fairly well and ignore others. It's more likely that it, it's like tires on a car that some are flat and some are extra full. And that's yeah. kind of how most people operate. So we want it to be more integrated and better balanced for a smoother ride for everybody. So everyone that I get in that I get in has has a different deficits that I would say um you know I I you so so some people really you know I have a lot of my engineers my IT people come in <laughs> they may be a little deficient in terms of the 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 emotional stuff going oh that's BS. I don't want to deal with that at all. Right. And, uh, and people who have been really, really, really successful financially. So I deal in Boston with all these financial services people are, they don't have time for that, that emotional stuff. And of course, meanwhile, their health is deteriorating because these are all connected. So if you ignore one, it can show up as symptoms or problems in other areas. Right. My Dutch colleague, Alka van Kulen talks about um, ease and dis-ease. 
in each of the elements. And that he helps his people understand it that way. So this element, if you bring it up, if you use it a little bit more, you're going to have more ease overall. And if we do it, you know, too little, then it could be a disease, a lack. So I think that that, that helps. He finds that people respond really well to that description of ease okay. and disease. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And referencing back to the healing comment, does that mean that the deficit has been caused by some sort of trauma that I need to heal from? Sometimes, yeah. Sometimes it's surprising how many people have reached heights in business and academia uh, when they were raised by wolves and they still haven't gotten over that stuff. I have I have one uh, right now. Metaphoric, metaphorically. Yeah, <laughs> nah, sort of, yeah. So <laughs> for people, I, you know, I, um, I have, uh, it's amazing to me how people manage to go on with their lives with some of the things they've suffered. And I, you know, I've dealt with people from all different parts of the world, but uh, it is extraordinary to me to see the testament to, to what, how, how people go on. Just, I mean, it's always humbling to me to see what this person has brought to the table and you go, whoa, you know, what did I, what was I complaining about? <laughs> this is nothing, but this person has shown up, they've brought themselves to where they are and they often land with me when they're ready for a next level of healing, of self-healing, yeah. you know, so I'll give them the tools for that. But to circle back, you go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Well, you made me think about, and I'm going to be really judgmental on the rest of the world here. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, you know, in comparison to myself, which is obviously a huge, ridiculous thing to say. But my experience in the clients I work with, and this is a little bit personal too. Um, maybe it's because I have deeper levels of healing required. I'm not sure. But I do, I guess, like you, some pretty significant work on myself pretty constantly. Mm -hmm. Does that mean I need more healing? Because some people appear to do none. <laughs> I know that's not true. But they appear to do very little and <laughs> ease their way through life anyway. Yeah. Without yeah. apparently seeming to do the healing, do the work, because it's not required. Have you, have right. you found yes, yes. They're, and those are not the people who come to me for help. Right. Because they don't need any help, right? They're, they're just fine. Leave me alone. So what I would say is there is often an unconsciousness or an emptiness. Sure. And when people who listen to what you're talking about um, do so, it's because they themselves are called to do something for themselves, to move on, to do more work because they want to evolve. So the dividing line might be, I'm just fine where I am right now, leave me alone, go away, to I would like to evolve. I would like to move on. I, I have heights I've not yet reached. Can you help me do that? So, I, so you know, I'm like an ongoing project for myself about the things that I want to learn. I want to improve. I want to do more because I'm so convinced that we have this opening now and I want to do everything I can to facilitate that and help the people who I work with get there. So the more I know, the more I can help them. So for me, it is, is what you're saying. It's not that we're bad people. So we had to do a lot of work. It's not penance. We are, I come from a Catholic background. It's not penance. We know we're not making true confessions here. It's that there is this call, this yearning to grow. And it's interesting you say that because I would imagine, you know, if you and I were having a conversation with any of our clients and, and bear in mind, this is, I'm immediately reminded this is the freedom from some of this in a corporate business yeah. context yeah. rather than the first conversation we had around perhaps it's just freedom from oppression and freedom from right, right, right. freedom from uh, war, freedom from, yeah, yeah. Of course, there's obviously far more significant or as significant things going on. But I'm interested if you ask, I think most leaders that certainly I know, um, do you like to learn? The answer would be yes. Um, are, are you maxed out on your potential? The answer would be no. Um, are, are you trying to get better every day? The answer would probably be yes. And yet still there are massive blind spots. And yes. 
massive um, shadows that they're not aware of. So mm. how, do you, how do you make that transition from, I guess, the intellectualization of, yes, I want to get better and heal and grow. Of course I do, right? It would make every human probably would. I think we're born with a, a, self, a self-fulfilling tendency. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it gets squashed or hidden or, you know, we lose it for a little bit. How do you make that transition from, you know, rationally going, yes, I want to grow and learn and be my full self. Uh, how? how? How do I do that, Sharon? <laughs> well, sometimes people come in and they have that agitation that they've hit some kind of limit. And that, that they they just can't get their hands around how to get past that. And that's one group of people. Some people come when they are in absolute crushing pain. And that's a very good moment, moment to move forward because all the strategies that they had in the past not working so well right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes people come because of a, a, a personal disruption. Um, you know, not a business disruption, but a personal disruption. You know, they 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 really they're at the top of their organization, and their spouse just left them. And sort of like, uh, you know, or um, or you know, their their children are strange or whatever it is. So sometimes you have people come in from that. So so I don't know if that answered your question. Those are the things that I see in terms of what moves people who were very self satisfied a few months ago to wanting to do something different. Yeah. yeah. It, 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 tying into what you said, Sharon, my experience is usually it's some sort of crisis. Yeah, yeah, some sort of pain. Emotionally, relationship, kids, spouse, business, health. It's almost like, you know, nothing better for change than a good crisis. Right, yeah, really, yeah. And, and I wonder then if, you know, as humans in the, with the human condition, uh, are we just destined for that anyway? Uh, I, I don't know, but you have not met many strong people that have had an easy past. Right. Yeah, I think that it's, um, I once heard uh, people describe that we live on a planet of of atonement and, you know, and, and reparation. And we hopefully, as I mentioned, are moving to one of regeneration, one where we are actually uh, moving up as a species. I, I do think that that is part of what we're doing and that the work you and I and your listeners are doing is, is facilitating helping with that process wherever we're called to do it. So I do see, you know, people who, who, are, who are very self-satisfied are not going to want to work with us yeah. <laughs> until they hit that wall. And then we just have to be very, very compassionate instead of saying, I told you so. I told you so. It's like, you know, <laughs> you might think it, but you can't, you can't go there. Um, you know, and, and sometimes um, I've also seen people who are, have been so like oppressed for so long that they cannot even see their way out of it. And that's the one that, that bothers me the most. They can't even feel the, the way to lift themselves out. Often it's a, a friend or, a, you know, family member who brings them in because they're just so beat up. Yeah. Something I was reminded of recently was um, a statement that in an ideal world, it would be better if we lived and worked and led from our imagination, not our memories. Oh, yes. And yet I see many, many people, uh, you know, tickling and, you know, speculating with imagination, but still referring and relying on memory. Right. Yeah. How how would you, uh, do you observe that? And how would you help someone you know, have whatever is required, more confidence, more energy, whatever it is to stay a little more while in the imagination space. Right. Well, that's something I go after tooth and tongue. I mean, that that is, that's, I really go into that because we have lots of tools. We have evolved many tools that people can use with their own hands. They don't have to go into psychiatrists anymore. I mean, it's great if they do, but but it's it, there is a lot that they can do themselves to heal the old memories. So we have so much trauma that they brought and there's a lot of workplace trauma. I mean, there's all this gaslighting that goes on and, and there's this 
and it, when people just stop trusting their their minds, and so sometimes that has to be healed. Um, sometimes people were just disrespected, and they were bounced out, and they were treated like crap, and and we can't have them move on anywhere until that is healed. But there's lots of tools to do that, really. And, and, and a lot of these tools have only developed in the last couple of decades. So that people just, you know, people can just, I can teach them, they can use them, they can come back to another session, they've done the work, they're, you know, they're, they're doing, uh, you know, they're, they're improving things themselves. So they have the power in their own hands to do this. And I think it's absolutely vital. They, to the degree they live in the memories, they're going to repeat the past, which... Yeah hasn't worked out really well for them. So we do want to really switch that up. Absolutely. Hmm. Um, Sharon, one of the books that you've written, uh, the new book, Superpower of Balanced Leadership in Unbalanced Times. Um, I'm guessing, like many authors, you've, uh, <laughs> I think this is pre-chat GPT, so we're assuming that you did much of the writing. Um, <laughs> yes. Like many, many authors that I know, They've kind of do, do a, a little bit of work on the topic themselves. And so uh, it's a sensitive question. So feel free to plead the fifth on this one. Uh, are you as full a person as you could be right now? No way. No, <laughs> I mean, I'm work in progress. Did I mention that? And I owe it to everyone to be a work in progress. Now, I can look to where I was, the identity I had previously, and I can see that I can see my progress. I can see the steps. I can see that it was worth the effort I got to be here. I learned this and I've made things different for myself and the people who entrust themselves to me. So it is an infinite journey. You know, we are on this hero's journey. It doesn't stop at you know, point H, it, it, it's, it's going to go on. And, and, uh, and, you know, depending upon your belief system is going to go on beyond here. So, uh, so I, you know, if you embrace the journey, as I have done, then you'll see that it is that balance, for example, is not a teeter totter. When I talk about balanced leadership, it's not good, bad, it's not, uh, you know, work life, it's not any of those things. It's these this fullness of you, these six powers that you continue to develop. So I developed my, you know, motivation. How do I stay motivated? I develop my more on my structure element. I need a lot of work on that. I need a lot of work to continue to do that. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I consider myself and the people I work with and probably all of your listeners to be in process and what a blessing to actually think of yourself in more of a verb of becoming of being rather than having arrived at some destination that is elusive and then what do you do right <laughs> does that make sense it does um i'm just pondering um it's just the use of you know it's probably we're all on a journey anyway mm -hmm. um I don't. I don't know whether it's predetermined or predestined. I guess that depends on your belief systems, um, and and maybe that we're all just on whatever path we're on, anyway, and in and in this lifetime, if that's your belief, um, we'll get to the end of that journey anyway. Yeah. Why, why, why do I have to do work on it? <laughs> because there is joy in the labor. There is joy in the learning. There is satisfaction in the little marks along the way. There is uh, fulfillment in the service. There is love in the connection. That's why we have all of these rewards with every step we take. We, 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 you know, which makes, which gives us more energy to take the next step. Um, give me permission to be a skeptic here on behalf of and i'm speculating because i i'm only reading the news like most people you may have more insight <laughs> than you um elon musk was recently interviewed on the bbc oh, and, God. Uh, yeah <laughs> there are many people that would aspire to be like him for whatever perception they have of what he's like whether it's the material or the external or the internal trappings or whatever it is um and here's, again, reading the news, here's a guy who 
bought a company, Twitter, and looked at the very simple, the, the, the revenue line and the cost line, and apparently they were incongruent and has done, and you know, possibly really shaken up, shooken up the people side, the structure side, to rebalance the economics of the business. So is, is he, again, I know we're speculating because we might not know, but do you, do you believe that someone like that who goes in and some would argue rescues a business, turns a business around, changes the business from the direction it's heading, are they expressing them full selves or is there still something missing? And in, in the imperfection, does yeah. that allow us to push and be a bit unreasonable with things? Yeah. Well, I'm not a big fan. Let's put it that way. And and actually never have been. So I guess I would say that that we don't need the Genghis Khan approach to business anymore. I think that there are I think there are ways to do this, to be very sober, to look at the numbers, to decide what can be done. It does not have to be ruthless. I, I was once uh, um, uh, consulting with a law firm in the Boston area. And we started work on this process, the same work that, uh, that I do here. So we work, we're working on the core, then we were going to do the vision, the mission, we were going through all of those steps to help them reform the organization. Well, typically, and I'm sure you've seen this, they call you in kind of late when they're already having problems, right? <laughs> and, and you're starting, you're always yeah. starting behind the eight ball, right? So, of course, you know, I was only a couple of sessions in and and all of a sudden they need to have a layoff. Fortunately, we had done the the value statement, the the, you know, the purpose, da, 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 da. And then some of the people in the room. So we'd already done some of this work, the core work. And the, some of the people in the room said, well, we just need to, you know, we have to lay off these many people. And this is where we're going to do it. And I said, whoa stop the, stop the train here let's look back to what you just said about what this law firm is what its values are how it wants to conduct itself what its purpose is and how would you do layoffs with that in mind layoffs are necessary we got the economics of it you know we're we're kind of late to the party here but how would you do this differently and so they did it differently as a result of that conversation, they didn't do the throwing the people out on the street kind of thing by by email. <laughs> you get your notice. Yeah. You know, we talked them into having some kind of um, severance, which they weren't planning on doing. The partners of the firm went and talked to every individual about what was happening and why. And the feedback they got was phenomenal. They didn't wind up with lawsuits. They didn't wind up with drama. They treated everyone respectfully. So here's an example, you know, that we can compare in a small scale um, to what we're seeing with the with the Twitter shakeup. It doesn't have to be the hordes coming through and killing all the villagers. We don't need that process. I think that's old world, I hope, as we move forward. Did that yeah. answer your question? Yeah, I think it did. And um, how I've interpreted that um, in a practical sense is it's not necessarily the what that's different, it's the how. Yes, the how, the how, the how. The numbers are there. We got to face them. We have to be sober. This is yeah. all part of this full dimension that we look at organizations with these same elements. We got a real weakness here. We got a real problem here. How do we fix it? We don't have to fix it by savaging another aspect of it. Because that's not likely to, it's like, you know, you have one tire that's leaking, you don't go and slash the other tire. <laughs> we, there's other ways to build, there's other ways to correct the situation in this more holistic healing approach. Hmm. Um, for someone starting out on their leadership journey, um, and, and that may be an identity question, they may have the position, but don't feel like they deserve or they're ready yeah whatever, or maybe someone who is moving into a different organization or, you know, moving from peer to boss, that they're starting a new leadership chapter. Um, mm -hmm. Given some of the insights from your book, what insights, if any, would you have for someone who is beginning anew their leadership journey? Right. So the, this is a great time for emerging leaders to try to do things differently. What would it mean if you, you know, if you could be George 
and really George and do things the way George wants to do it and build it with this uh, template, this holistic template that you're not out on your own. You're not making it up as you go along. You are really strategically integrating yourself, your team and your organization and thinking of it in that, um, uh, you know, that, that whole fabric kind of way. So that's one of the things that I would like people to do is to think of themselves as circles within circles that it's all moving along together. Right. And, and I think it's a great, a great approach. And, and I think that some of, you know, the new generation may be more receptive to that. So we don't need to be, we don't need to be Genghis Khan anymore. I keep saying we need to, we can do it differently and have, I think, better lasting results, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There was um you had talked in another one of your um podcasts about change. Yeah. And this is something that I'd like the leaders, the new leaders to look at is that there was a man by the name of Alan Deutschman. You wrote he wrote a book called Change or Die. Do you know that book? It's you would I love it. Know. Oh yeah. Alan Deutschman wrote a book called Change or Die. And he did research in four different areas. And I'll just talk about one of them, which was in the health area. What he found was that people would would not change <laughs> only one in nine people would change even if they were told that if they didn't change they could die okay mm -hmm. only one in nine it was just like horrible and then you multiply that across organizations you can see what you're up against on change efforts yeah but so he found that what did not work and this is for the new leaders was to was fear facts and force Fear, facts, and force did not result in lasting changes. So you just had your bypass surgery <laughs> and your doctor says, okay, we really have to cut down on the, you know, all of these foods that you've been eating to excess. And you're really good for a couple of weeks. You have the facts. Your, your spouse is making meals that are better for you and all this stuff, and but you just can't keep it up. So within weeks, people are back to their old habits. Fear doesn't work. Facts don't work. And I mean, look what's happened in our political divide around COVID. I mean, facts just aren't working. Um, pure facts and force don't work. What he found did work yeah. was the three R's. This is great stuff. Um, re reframe the problem. Yeah. It's like what AA does. You, you know, if I'm an alcoholic, then so I reframe the problem. Um, the um, relate. So you're going to either relate to different people or relate differently to the people, you know, so you relate. Okay. And then, um, so you're not going to the bar with your buddies anymore. <laughs> you're relating to different people and then repeat the pattern, repeat the behavior. So when I read his research, I just was ecstatic because the balancing act process that I talked to you about Amir's has those three steps in it. And so we did a change formula, which is first we reset. So we added one at the very beginning. We reset, and that's the core. Then we have you reframe things, which is, of course, the vision and rethinking. Then we added another one in the circle, which is we reprioritize, because that's where people go south a lot. They don't prioritize. They don't have different priorities. So that was part of our process. Then you relate, again, to hopefully different people. Then you repeat the process, and then you have reformed the situation. You, you have now reformed yourself. You have made this change. And this process works. So for emerging leaders, I would suggest they embrace that. They want to make the changes. They want to change themselves. They want to change their teams. This works. So 90% of the time, you change your odds to better than 90% is what Deutschman did. So people are going to make the change they're bought in, they see the sense of it, they have thought about the whole issue differently. And that is how you rebalance, that is how you change the situation, which is why I think there is hope in doing it differently. You know, when we have this kind of a different approach, this is very solid, great research behind it. And what if we acted differently like this? Yeah, and one of the things you've mentioned, you've mentioned two or three times now, and I'm interested in your view about the the different way of using time. Yes. On many occasions, you and I will have heard people say, oh, I'm really time poor. Yeah. Um, 
And I, and I, I usually push back and I say, it's not that you're time poor, you're probably space poor, or it's that your <laughs> management of or use of time is poor. Yeah. Yeah. You have no less or more time than anyone else. So something's different with you at this particular stage. So do you have any views on how we should be using time differently? Yes, absolutely. And a lot of that is from cultural uh, influences. Okay. So one of the first things I'm going to say is something that I designed that helps people manage their time better. And um, uh, we have, we, I designed a, uh, a, a, an hour structure that uses all of these powers that I talked about in, it's like in a box. Okay. Just in one hour, you can go from start to finish on this and get yourself into flow. So the the uh, Department of Labor in the U.S. says that we work around three hours, really effective hours every day in, in organizations. I mean, that's really all the work you get done. And this, if you work this way, if you do this, you know, what I call the core zone productivity process, you'll get like and really intense work done. You 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 start with uh, you know what it is you're going to be doing. You think about the way you want it to be. You prioritize out of my 500 tasks. I'm going to do this one this hour. That's all I'm going to do. And then you turn off all your freaking devices and you close the door and you just do that one thing for that 45, 50 minute period. That's all you do. So you go into the flow and it is amazing how much you can get done. So time seems to expand. You know, when you're in flow, when you're in that state, time has changed for you what happens. So creative people know this from inventors know this. It's time stops, it shifts, it moves around. And, and it's a, it's an exhilarating experience. And when I first started designing this, of course, I don't do anything that I haven't tested myself many, many, many times. So I have to eat, eat the berries before I give them to the king. Right. So I have, so I did this myself and all my colleagues do it myself. And it's sort of like about 23 minutes I'm going in. I look at the clock that I've timed myself on my, you know, my iPhone is clicking away. I can't believe it's only been that long. And I just got this thing done or, you know, so, but, but it's time limited and so disciplined and people get a lot done with that. So it's an example I've experience about how to change time. We are totally focused on one frigging thing at a time, as opposed to pretending to do many things and being so busy. Right. So that's, that's something that, that I've done and my colleagues have done, but I, when I go to other cultures, they have completely, you know, this completely different ideas about what time means. And, and when you say you're going to show up at eight, what does that really mean? (laughs) which day (laughs) and and the sense of of time is moving backwards and forwards is something that other cultures have and i think we have a lot to learn from you know from our super clock orientation that kind of has exhausted and us and depleted our intelligence in some ways and depleted our sense of self we we kind of run dry on this and it it has a lot of benefits, but it shouldn't be the only model of time that we're working with. Yeah, I guess when I'm, what I'm, with, when I'm working with leaders and, and groups, I often tell them that my role as the facilitator is to help them balance clock time with compass time. Oh, wow, that's beautiful. Yes, tell me more. Well, how you do know, you define reality, compass time? Yeah. Tell me more. Yeah. Well, clock time, the reality is we're yeah, all, we're all yeah. going to start at a particular time and the clock right, 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 gives right. us an orientation to be, a, we're, we're all here, we're present, we're, we're in it. And, and, you know, there's probably a bathroom stop and a food, a food stop. And, you know, you might, you might be having, you know, an important personal call, whatever it might be, but I'm trying to help them navigate compass time is when you have meaningful, insightful, often breakthrough conversations, not necessarily clock time now we can't have a whole (laughs) week's conversation about that because we've got families and things to go to so then clock time comes back and go right we've come to the end of the day for today you know that and i'm trying to help them balance the and navigate the clock time and the compass time yeah i think that's beautiful and i think that that's that's a very workable conversation i think people will go with you there right yeah yeah yeah. And, and then that that also helps them understand that there's more than this hammering of yourself in terms of the, the time that you're doing. So yeah. that I think that's a really good way to talk about it. And it's a great balance, isn't it? 
yeah. you know, moving into this zone or this flow when you need to, and when you need your creativity to be protected from the other aspects of time. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, you got to catch the subway at a certain time or you're not going right. to catch it. Yeah. So That's right. It, and, and I'm conscious of that. I'm conscious of our time, Sharon. It's almost coming to an end, but I do have a kind all of right. question. Well, first of all, a couple of questions about your book. I'm fascinated that the superpower of balanced leadership in unbalanced times. Um, what part of the book are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? Um, one of the things I'm most proud of is that I had one of these. Do you know the 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 cartoon series, the Homer Simpson? Do you know that whole thing where he yep. had where he would always go, duh? Okay, and I had one of those moments when I realized that for years, I the, the what I had been writing about was that this is a superpower. There are these six distinct powers that makes it a superpower. I, I can claim that, <laughs> but it took me so long to kind of get that lightning bolt down and to reframe the work in the way that I think people can understand it. I guess the other thing is that I have worked a really long time to take these very abstract concepts and make them useful in daily life. Yeah. That is, you know, to bring it in like this so that someone can take it and use it that makes me happy. Yeah, I feel the same, Sharon. Um, I feel sometimes we're curators of all of the knowledge and experience in the articles, the books, the seminars, and we've kind of, you know, almost, and here's where maybe I get a little bit skeptical, handing things to people on a plate. Mm. Which means if they haven't done the work, it, there are sometimes, it's sometimes perceived to be less valuable. And you and I know, the work that goes into taking a complex or complicated subject and making it yeah. simple, and practical, and usable on a daily right. experience. I consider this all. I consider this all part of the service towards evolution. If someone else can get this fast, I mean, look at all the people who came before me and made things easy. Yeah. So, to the degree that I can make things easier for them and faster for them, God bless it. You know, I'm 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 all over that. Yeah. And, and they're still going to have to do their work. You know that. <laughs> I do. <laughs> yeah. I do. I, sometimes I feel like I do it for others too. Yeah. 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 No, I think we're at a really a point of privilege where we have the time to, to write and the time to take these ideas that are just percolating inside us that want to be born and we're getting them out. And it's so satisfying to see that happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and the other question I have about your book is, is there a part of the, your book that you wrote that you're, that you sense people don't get, they don't get it quite in the way that you'd hope that it's, it's they've, they've kind of skimmed over it. It's, it's a blind spot for people. You could, oh, I wish they'd gotten that message. Is there any part that they don't quite get? I think what I've tried to hammer and which people find very difficult to get is the holistic nature of what I'm talking about. Right. That if indeed you connect these things, every one of them multiplies, every one of them is augmented, every one of them is, is healthier. That's, I think, a very hard concept because we, we live in such a segmented, siloed world and we, we're, we're expected to be, you know, in America, I think also in Australia, we're expected to be like cowboys who all go out there and do things and get things done. Yeah. But... I hope in this new or emerging phase and the emerging leaders you spoke about that they're going to get this holistic aspect. It is easier for them if they do. If everything fits together, it is way easier than this hard work ethic that they've been raised on. Yeah. Why would we do the easy thing, Sean, when if I work hard, then I might deserve it more? Yes. Well, we're back to this. I'm more worthy if I work more hours and, and, and harder than you do. Right. I'm, I'm more valuable uh, and and deserve more money. So I'm saying we got to flip that. That is I don't think that that has I think that that's been a very diseased approach. Yeah. And look, Sharon, I'll, I'll, I'll kind of close off our conversation with um, I'm grateful for the work that you and I and many of our colleagues do. Yes. on the ground, yes. on a daily basis, 
without perhaps the recognition or acknowledgement that maybe, I don't mean we deserve, but the impact that it's having, and, and we continue to do the work, not only on ourselves to heal ourselves seven generations ahead and seven generations behind, but the work that we do to help others, leaders, organizations, families, communities, um, bring their best selves to their days. Right, and have the support and courage and joy in continuing to move forward. The ripple effects are extraordinary. I think we just need to remember that every time we act in this positive way, it has ripple effects that we don't even often see. One of my clients just received a letter from a, a judge that he helped place. He's an attorney and he helped place this judge uh, it, it, because he had he has a pool of people that he recommends other lawyers for possible judgeships in the U.S. So this man wrote him a letter not too long ago saying, I just wanted to thank you for all you did for me on this. Um, and together we helped make history. This is the judge who voted for Saturday voting in Georgia, and that changed the election wow. in Georgia, and that changed the election in the U.S., wow. and that election in the U.S. has brought, you know, freedom for Ukraine, has brought other health things, and the ripple, ripple, ripple effects that we have, we often don't even recognize. So I just encourage everyone to just keep doing it because it is it's happening. <laughs> yeah, and that's a, that's a really, uh, for me, a poignant message to close on and a reminder that, you know, the freedom that we're talking about yes. is, is, could be very different from the freedom that many of the listeners who are listening are, are referring to. And, and each, each perception of our own freedom is probably relevant for us. And it, and it helps everybody. When we yeah. continue to go towards our freedom, it helps everyone. Yeah. That show cool. notes, we'll put in the show notes, um, the links to your website, the links to your book and, and books and, and anything else that you send us that you think people will find useful. Um, I, I do like to perhaps lighten the, the conversation a little bit towards the end. And I might just ask you two or three uh, sure. questions if I can. Um, Absolutely. You, said you, live in, you live in Boston. Are, are you more... Do you prefer the country or the city? I have turned out to be a city woman, even though I was raised in the country. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. And um, what's your, do, do you follow sport in the U.S.? I do follow sports in the U.S., not as closely as I used to, but uh, okay. of course, Which Boston is a big, big okay. sports town. I used to be a cheerleader. Can you tell? Is that right? For which team? <laughs> me going <laughs> for everything i grew up in a small town in the middle of the country and so i was a cheerleader for everything yes <laughs> so which team do you support um well i i have to support all of the boston teams so you just go through all of the boston teams all i do boston teams, yeah. <laughs> all well, of them yeah um knowing that you're an author what's uh what's a book that's changed your life wow I don't, I almost don't know where to start on that question. <laughs> this was meant to be yeah. a light question to finish. Yeah, with no, well. I'm going, I'm going deep, really, right really, really, really deep on that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would say for me, the, the, I would, I, I have an answer. Um, I once took care of a number of Brazilian um, uh, clients. And when I was done with them, they sent me books in the spiritist tradition, which is Brazil, France, you know, and, and those books changed my life in terms of my attitude towards evolution and my attitude towards what we're here to do. So those are some of, the, I think, the most recent books that that were like lightning rods in terms of looking at a world, changing my worldview in terms yeah. of what was, what is, and what can be. Wow. Sharon, I think that's a perfect place to pause. Uh, thank you so much, not just for your time, <laughs> but for your insight and uh, the ways that you've expressed how people can bring their full selves to, to bear for the benefit of, of others. I'm really grateful and thankful for your, for your conversation.
And I'm thankful that you asked me to talk here and I'm thankful to the listeners. Um, and I once had a, a music teacher tell me that there are three people who make a composition. There is the, 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 the musician who writes the music, there is the performer of the music and there are the listeners. And that is what's necessary for every musical composition. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful way to finish. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. Thank you. Excellent.